Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Creeks. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here, and welcome to our church. If you are visiting, if you're here for the first time, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're really glad that you came. We want to acknowledge that you could have been anywhere doing anything, and you didn't have to be here, but you woke up and, and you came here. And so for that, I'm very grateful. Uh, like Kendall and Josh just mentioned a minute ago, our, our vision is to help people to find and follow God. And so wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, and you're on one, wherever you're at on it, we're really glad that you chose to spend about 75 or so minutes here with us. We're in the last week of our series in the book Ephesians. And you know that feeling you have when you embark upon a long road trip? You load the car, you get everybody in, everybody goes to the bathroom, except one kid, they forgot, but then most of them, they get in the car and you, you take off and it's early in the morning and you get your coffee and you're, you're cruising and the GPS says like 11 hours. You know that feeling? It's like, man, this is going to be a long day. And then it says after a while, eight hours. And then it says six hours. And then you stop at Chick-fil-A, of course, because that's what people do. And everybody else stopped at Chick-fil-A too, so it takes like a half an hour to get your food. And then you get back in the car, and then if you have kids, 30 minutes after that, they have to go to the bathroom, so you have to stop again, and you're at four and a half hours, and then two hours, and you're watching the GPS, and you're, you're listening to podcasts, and you're hoping that the kids' iPads' batteries don't die here at the end, and then, and then it gets to about like 37 minutes, and you see it, and in 37 minutes, the font is green. You know what that means, Right? No construction, no traffic between you and the end. You're almost there. That's kind of where we are in Ephesians. It's been a while. January 8th, we got in the car per se. And we said, man, we're going to be in this book for a while. This is going to be a road trip. This is going to be a journey together. And here we are, 30, not probably 36 minutes now from the end, from the destination. We're getting off the exit we're, we're, there's a, just a few turns left. And you might look at the last four verses in Ephesians, and at first glance, you might think, well, it doesn't seem like there's really anything in there for me. These are just the, the final greetings, if you will. He's just saying some words at the end. Is there really, doesn't seem as meaty as some of the rest of the letter that Paul wrote. But if you had that thought, you'd be wrong. Because there is something in there. Isn't it true that some parts of the Bible are more inspiring than other parts of the Bible? Yes, that's true, but all of the Bible is inspired. All of it is God's word to us, for us to, to read and to learn from and to live our lives from. And so when you, when you read the last four verses of a letter, it might be quick to, might, you might be quick just to skim through it real quick and get on to the next page, but no, there's something, there's something in here. In fact, Paul, who wrote Ephesians, also wrote 12 other books in the New Testament. One of them that he wrote is called 1 Timothy, and he wrote another letter to Timothy called 2 Timothy, 
And when he wrote 2 Timothy, who coincidentally at the time was pastoring the church in Ephesus. I know that was a lot of details, but it, it just, I, I need you to understand that when Paul wrote to Timothy, he actually wrote all scripture is God-breathed. Even chapter 6, verses 21 through 24, it's God-breathed. And then Paul wrote that it's useful for, correct, uh, for correcting, for teaching, for rebuking, for training in righteousness, and so on. And so what Paul's saying is, listen, listen, Timothy, listen, Three Creeks people, listen, people that live in Columbus, listen, everybody, all of this is God-breathed. It's all inspired. And so I'm excited to show you something here in the last couple of verses that I think perhaps you've never noticed before about the end of this letter. Just to make sure we're on the same page, do you remember what Ephesians is? It wasn't one volume in a series of 66 books that an author wrote. No, it was originally a letter written by a first century Christian missionary named Paul. Paul had pastored, in fact, he had planted this church in the city called Ephesus, which at the time was, was like New York City. This is a popular city. It's a tourist city. There's people from everywhere that live in Ephesus. And so Paul goes there strategically to start a church. He leaves, gets arrested. He's in Rome under house arrest, essentially in prison. And although Paul wants to go and visit these other churches that he started, he can't. And so he writes letters. But the question that I have for you today is, have you ever thought through the process of how these letters got to these places? I mean, sure, it's, you can imagine Paul taking a quill with ink, with parchment, writing it out. Perhaps you've imagined that before. But have you ever stopped to think about the process that would have had to take place between Paul writing it out, rolling it up, tying it up, giving it to somebody? Who was that? And them having to travel hundreds of miles to these places that the letter was intended for. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Colossae. We have it in our Bibles as the book of Colossians. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. We have it in our Bibles as the book of Philippians. He wrote all these letters underneath house arrest in Rome at this time, 58 AD, give or take a year or two. He wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, and we call it Ephesians, and we've been there for our road trip. And I know you know this, but it's worth saying. He didn't send it via email. He didn't have FedEx. He didn't have UPS. He, he did, there, there wasn't a, a worldwide chain of mail. That, all mail at the time is carried by a person. The journey from Rome, where Paul is, to all these places in Asia Minor, we're talking hundreds of miles. We're talking over mountains, overseas. When Paul often describes a lot of his journeys, he talks about constantly being in danger from thieves and robbers. He's hungry. He ends up being shipwrecked. He's beaten. And so, and, 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 and some of Paul's crew, there's about seven of them. There's seven different men that come, and women that come in and out of his life and are kind of in his posse, if you will. They've all been on this journey before. The journey from Rome to Ephesus was dangerous and long and lonely and would have taken weeks, if not months. And so the question comes up after Paul writes these letters, who's going to carry him? Paul's not allowed to. So, 
So Paul might look around the room to the few people that are caring for Paul at this time and goes, who's up? Who's willing to take this journey by themselves? Who can handle what's going to come their way once they get there with the letter? Who's it going to be? Imagine the job posting. Mailman, wanted, requirements, mobility, flexibility. You're going to have to roll with the punches a little bit. Integrity, humility, at least these things, right? Because if he's not, if the guy can't ride a donkey or walk a little bit, well, he's not the guy for this job. If he's not flexible, if he's not able to change, you know, with what comes his or her way, well, it's not going to be the person for the role. If the person isn't humble, if the person isn't willing to say, where do you need me to take this letter? I'll do whatever it takes to serve. I'll be behind the scenes. I probably won't get credit for this. If the person isn't humble, probably not the person. If the person doesn't have integrity, if the person isn't committed to the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can't be chosen because this is going to be too hard. A person who's kind of 50-50 on this, they're going to give up along the way. And so who does Paul choose to take the letter to the Ephesians? Who is this man? I'll bet you never heard of him. And so let's look at the last couple verses of Ephesians. In chapter 6, verse 21, Paul writes this. He goes, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Tychicus. He's described here as a dear brother and a faithful servant in the Lord. Tychicus the mailman. And you've probably, maybe you've heard of him, but do you know how many times he's referenced in the New Testament? Do you know where he was from? Do you know how old he was? Do you know what he was like? Do you know what the mailman had to do when he got there? Let let me tell you a little bit more about Tychicus because it's fair to say that without Tychicus, I don't know that we have the book of Ephesians. Without his faithfulness and determination, who knows what he would have gone through to get from Rome to Ephesus? Who knows? Maybe we'll get to heaven and we'll talk to Tychicus and we'll be like, what'd you have to go through? And then he'll probably say, It's Tychicus, not Tychicus, but that's fine. We'll just kind of refer to him as Tychicus here. When he arrived at Ephesus, this is what he had to do. He was the one who would have to stand up in front of the church and read Paul's letter. And if you read Ephesians, chances are, if I stood up here and said, hey, let me just read you through this letter, chances are you might have some questions. Hey, could you clarify that for a little bit? And that is what Tychicus would have had to do. So he actually became somewhat of a preacher or a pastor to the church in Ephesus at that time because he would have had to explain more in depth about Paul's letter. They would have been asking him questions like, Tychicus, what what does Paul mean exactly by coarse joking? Tychicus, what does Paul mean exactly when he says, don't get drunk on wine? Can we get tipsy? These are the questions that they would have been asking. 
Antichicus would have been the one who would have to explain the heart behind what Paul was writing when God inspired him to do it. They're counting on Tychicus. Without Tychicus's strong theological foundation, without Tychicus's good grasp of who God is, well, where, where would the church be? And without not, not only a strong theological foundation, but without Tychicus's faithful service to the Lord, being willing to get on boats and get on donkeys and walk for miles and go hungry and be cold without Tychicus's commitment to do that, where would we be? And you've probably never heard of this guy. Tychicus was probably from Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, Tychicus is listed out and he's, he's described as one of the guys from Asia. Him and another guy named Trophimus, the guys from Asia. And in another letter, Trophimus, we find out that he's from, he's from Ephesus. So you might say that it's likely that Tychicus was from Ephesus. If not from Ephesus, certainly from a surrounding town. So he would have been familiar with Ephesus. So when Paul's looking around the room going, who's going to carry this letter to the Ephesians? He's, he goes, he looks at Tychicus. He goes, you love these people. You know this people. You know the area. You're the guy for the job. And he picks Tychicus. Tychicus is mentioned five times in the New Testament. I've already referred to three of them. I'm going to make you go dig for the other two. It'll be a good exercise for you. In Colossians 4, verse 7, it describes Tychicus again. Because like I said, Tychicus ends up being the guy who carries the letter to a lot of these places, including the church at Colossae. And when Paul writes to them, this is what he says, Colossians 4, verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I already mentioned this, but Tychicus was a part of kind of the band of brothers with Paul. Paul traveled all over the world for a couple decades, and different people would come in and out of his posse. There's seven individuals that I believe were significant friends to Paul through all of this. And Tychicus is one of them. Tychicus was in Rome caring for Paul. He was the one making sure that Paul didn't go hungry or he was the one that was attending to some of his physical needs when he was in Rome. And Paul writes that he's a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. And so number one, he's a dear brother, which means Tychicus is a great friend. He's loyal. He feels like family. He's loved by me and he loves me. He's faithful. There's no quit in Tychicus. He's not a one-hit wonder. He, he's not a flash in the pan. He's with us for the long haul. Tychicus shows up pretty early in Paul's life and then Tychicus is mentioned at the very end of Paul's life. So this, this guy is in it for the long haul. He doesn't just come in, seem impressive, and get out. He's there. He's faithful. And he's a servant of the Lord. In other words, Tychicus isn't really looking for recognition. He's not looking for a job title. He's not looking for me to mention him. He's not in this to make a name for himself. He's in this to make a name for Jesus. He's a servant of the Lord. He humbles himself and puts him beneath and says, this is not about me. I mean, this, I mean, this guy to me sounds like an incredible man of God. I know some of you out there are looking for your Tychicus now. Some man that you can marry, 
and take it to the end. But you've probably never heard about him. He's relatively unrecognized, isn't he? I mean, you've heard of David. He beat Goliath. You've heard of Noah. He built the ship. You've heard of Jonah. He went in the whale. There are some Bible heroes out there, and we should talk about them. But what about all the Tychicuses and the Mrs. Tychicuses in the Bible? It would be an amazing exercise to go through some of Paul's letters and write down the names of people that are just mentioned once or twice and to imagine what their life was like. The impact that they have had on us. L- let me ask you a question. I- I've thought a lot about this this week, and I'm, I'm, I'm interested to have this conversation with you. Which is harder? Is it harder to be a public Christian figure like Paul? or a pastor, or a leader of a ministry, or an elder of a church, or to sit on the board of a nonprofit Christian organization, or to sit on the board of a Christian school, to be recognized or noticed as a public Christian leader, to be recognized as such, and, and to be that kind of person, and then to be faithful to the Lord for all of your life? Or is it harder to be none of those things? And to be faithful to the Lord for the rest of your life. At first thought, I think, I think the public figure, I think it's a little bit harder because some of the stress and some of the pressure that comes with that. And, and we've talked about this, spiritual warfare. And so there's a battle going on. And so, you know, if you kind of put yourself up on a stage, you're kind of painting a target on your chest and saying, you know, I'm in this for the Lord. And so the, the enemy, Satan, might throw his darts at me a little bit more often. And we've heard of pastors who have had failures. And so it sounds like maybe the public figure, it would be harder to go to the end and live a faithful life to God if you're in one of those positions. That's the answer that I think about first. But the more I thought about it, you know what else comes with public Christian, you know, a public Christian figure? Another thing that comes with that is a lot of appreciation and applause and gratitude. Oftentimes, I mean, there's times where I feel like, man, nobody cares. But a lot of the time, man, I, I get text messages from people in here that say, hey, like you've really made a difference in my life. And so I, I receive that praise and I go, man, I can keep doing this. In some ways, I'm motivated by praise to stay faithful to the Lord. Just being honest. There's a month that is dedicated to appreciating pastors. It's October, by the way, if you were wondering. (laughs) I'm just telling you that at times, being in a position like this or sitting on a board or being an elder, there's some praise, there's some adulation, there's some appreciation that comes with that that actually encourages me to be faithful. And, and actually, my position as a pastor sometimes acts as a safeguard for me. I, if I'm not faithful to the Lord, I would lose my job. And so if I, I think to myself at times, if I'm just being honest, man, if I stay faithful to my wife, 
If I stay faithful to my children, if I stay faithful to the Lord, well, there's some job security in that. And I'm thinking, you know what? Over time, I'll bet you there will be even more appreciation. People will often say thank you to me. And so I'm motivated by that. If I didn't have this position, I just, sometimes I wonder, what, what, what would I do? This acts as a, as a safeguard for me. And so I think I changed my answer. I think I changed my answer because the faithful man or the faithful woman who follows God for their whole life never steps foot on a stage, never steps foot in a boardroom, never gets the title, never gets the praise, and goes all the way to the end, faithful to God, the hidden, faithful life. I think that's harder. And I think, frankly, that's what most of us in this room are called to. Certainly, there are some people in here that are going to be called to positions of spiritual authority, of spiritual leadership, Christian leadership, where you're going to stand up here, stand somewhere, and have decision-making power or influence or whatever. And and that could be for you. But for most of us, we're called to this hidden, faithful life. And I think that's harder because there's no praise that comes with it. It's why Paul describes sometimes that being a Christian, being a faithful Christian for all of your life is like being a farmer. And nobody throws parades for people who have a great harvest of zucchinis. Nobody cares. And and that's, that's what you have coming if you live a long, faithful, hidden life to the man who stays faithful to his wife who leads his children, who, who, who kneels by the bed and prays for them every night, who gives to his church when no one notices, who avoids the pitfalls of addiction, who wakes up before his family does and reads his Bible, who is honest in all of his business dealings, who stays faithful to the end of his life, There's not a lot of praise here for that. To the woman who disciples other women, who rejects materialism, who finds joy in Christ, not in comparing herself to other people, who makes meals for families in need, to the woman who stores gift cards in the glove box, So that when they drive up and see somebody who doesn't have any food, who's holding a sign by the side of the road, to the woman who intentionally prepares for her kids to say, hey, can we help that person? They say, I've prepared to do so. And they pull out some gift cards from the glove box and they, they give it to the homeless person to model intentional generosity to other people. To that woman, there's just not a lot of praise here for that. If you post a picture of that, you just look arrogant. It looks like you're seeking approval. That's not why you're doing it. I think that's a lot harder. I think it's much more difficult to be described at the end as a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant of the Lord, if there's no praise that comes with it. And to those of you who are attempting to live that life, The faithful life, the hidden life, the behind the scenes, the one that nobody notices, but the one that honors God. I just need you to understand that Tychicus can relate to that. You're in good company. 
Tychicus knows what that feels like. He shows us that every small act for God can be a big deal. He shows us that we might think we're doing something small and insignificant, but it can have eternal significance. He may have thought, I do think that Tychicus, as he's in heaven looking down, going, man, they're still reading that letter? They're still looking at that thing? I imagine he thought, I'm just carrying a couple important letters from Paul, but I don't know. The letters and the significance of them have outlasted the city, the pomp of Rome. That has to surprise Tychicus in 59 AD. And so to those of you who are taking meals to families in need, if you're reading your Bible in the morning, if you're going to church, if you're signing up for Super Saturday and saying, you know what, we're going to not do this other thing because I want my kids to be a part of this. And you might think to yourself, does anybody notice? Does anybody care? Is this a big deal? I'm just telling you, you're in good company. Stay the course because you have no idea what God is doing. You just don't know what God is doing through your small and faithful acts of obedience. You see, Tychicus, my man, he had a servant heart. He was willing to play second fiddle, and he was aware of the fact that it was the Lord he was serving. He's one of many of the unsung, little-known heroes of the New Testament. And this is all we have on this guy. If you look at the other two references that I haven't referred to here, they're there's, frankly, there's not much more. You find out a little bit more, but there's not really that much more on this guy. And I think that that in and of itself is noteworthy and remarkable because there are not details about his achievements, his accomplishments, or his adventures. There, there's not much more. And in light of that, in light of the fact that this is all we have on this guy, I want to I ask you a question. Do you know the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues? Do you know the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues? Resume virtues are skills that you bring to the marketplace. The jobs you've had, the successes you've achieved, the adventures you have been on. Eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Whether you were kind or brave or faithful or selfless or loyal or honest or trustworthy. And, and let's, let's just be honest for a minute as we think about this person named Tychicus who has had an impact on our lives but there's really not that much about him. He's a, he's a dear brother. He's a faithful minister. He's a servant of the Lord. That's all we get. With that in mind, let me just pose to everybody the question, is it possible, perhaps, that we have been striving for or focusing on resume virtues more than eulogy virtues? The world is full of resources that will encourage you in building resume virtues. There's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of classes you can take. This is how you start off. This is how you be successful. Then you can be more successful, and then you can get a good 401k, and then you can go on vacations, and you can kayak in the Everglades, and you can get a boat, and you can retire, and that's it. There's a lot of resources out there dedicated to help us build our resumes. 
And so the question I just want to ask you is, which one of those two, resume virtues or eulogy virtues, matter more to you? I would propose that it, when, when, when we see dear brother, faithful minister, servant of the Lord, Tychicus, it's all God wanted us to know about Tychicus because it's all that matters to God. It's all God wanted, to know, wanted us to know about Tychicus because it's all that mattered to God. In other words, God doesn't care as much about our LinkedIn profile as he does about a gospel legacy that we're leaving behind us. To be faithful ministers and dear brothers and servants of the Lord. Spiritual maturity. We've been talking about spiritual maturity through this whole book. Spiritual maturity. Somebody who, who, who just knows God knows the gospel, spends time with him, and then looks to not only just know about it, but live that out. What that eventually ends up looking like is being like Christ in that we begin to be very others-oriented in the way that we think and live our lives. Tychicus was this way. He was others-oriented. He loved God and he loved other people more than himself. The reason I know that he loved God the reason I know is because if he didn't love God, he wouldn't have followed through with carrying those letters because they were all about God. If Tychicus did not believe that God sent Jesus to die for our sins, that Jesus rose again, that if we believe in Jesus, then we get the free gift of grace and eternal life. If, if, if Tychicus wasn't completely set on that, then he, why, why carry the letters? And if Tychicus didn't love other people, if he didn't think about his friends in Ephesus and go, they need to hear this. I've got to get this to them. Who knows what he went through? I don't know what he went through. I know it wasn't a cakewalk. But because he loved other people, because he was others-oriented in the way he Paul says, hey, who wants to give up six months of their lives to get no recognition and bless other people and serve the Lord? Tychicus. I'm in. That is spiritual maturity. It's living others-oriented lives. And if that's who you want to be, if you're okay being the hidden, faithful servant behind the scenes, you are in good company with my boy Tychicus and many other unsung heroes in the New Testament. Paul writes one more sentence. I guess two two more verses. It's the end of the letter and the end of our series. I pray, I have prayed and I hope that as we've gone through this book that we have grown up a little bit, that we have spiritually matured. And as I was thinking about that and praying about that this week, I, I, I think we have, but time will tell. You know what I mean? Will we live others-oriented lives going forward? That will be the true test of whether or not we've grown up a little bit. And for me, as I was writing this, I thought, man, there's no better way to finish the series than to simply read to you, my brothers and sisters, what Paul wrote to his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. So here's the last two verses, and then I'm done. Peace to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an un
undying love. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.